This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Welcome back. This is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Libby Hartfield, retired director of the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science. We just heard Dr. Troy Major won't be able to make it with us uh, this week, so we'll need to hold off pet questions for next week. We do have a guest in studio today. It's Nicole Smith, the Special Events Coordinator at the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science. With a good representation of Mississippi wildlife, the museum is a great place to learn about Mississippi's outdoors. So we'll talk today about existing and upcoming exhibits at the museum. Join the conversation with a phone call. The number is one eight seven seven mpb ring Our phone number is one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. You can email the show as well, animals at mpbonline.org. And a reminder that if you miss Creature Comforts on Thursdays, it repeats every Saturday morning at 6. So uh, we're going to be talking about things uh, at the museum. So uh, if you want to call in and maybe share your favorite thing about the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science, we'd be glad to hear that. And always, uh, if you have a brush with wildlife, we always like to hear about that as well. So again, the phone number, it's one eight seven seven mpb ring which is one eight seven seven six seven two. 7464. Good morning, ladies. How are you doing this morning? Good morning. Fine. Hello. <laughs> um, so, um, Libby, do you have any announcements that, that you wanted to uh, share with us? Yes, I have to share. Today, July the 19th, is Fanny Cook's birthday, right. or the anniversary of Fanny Cook's birthday, I think is probably the better way to say it. In fact, it's the 129th anniversary of Fanny Cook. And we have her to thank for lots of things that we enjoy. So I would say honor her memory, honor her memory by um, getting outdoors and enjoying nature. All right. State parks, wildlife management areas, of course, the Natural Science Museum. Any place you want to get outside would should be great, even if it's your backyard feeding birds, watching birds. And if you want to send us a a message or give us a call and tell us what you're doing outside to honor Miss Cook today. Do that. All right. So as I mentioned, our guest today is Nicole Smith. She is the Special Events Coordinator at the Museum of Natural Science. Nicole, thanks for joining us again on the program. Oh, thanks for having me. All right. So let's uh, maybe start out by assuming that uh, there's a new listener that has not ever been to the museum. <laughs> That's not possible, Kevin. Everybody's come. <laughs> they need to come again. <laughs> so let's uh, start out. And again, you know, summertime, folks might be planning trips, uh, staycations, as it were. So why don't you give us some basic information uh, where the museum is located and how people would uh, contact the museum to find out more information in addition to what we're going to be talking about today? Uh, sure. So the museum is located within Lafleur's Bluff State Park, and uh, it's a beautiful facility. It's it's kind of graceful, and it's a linear arrangement. And so there's one whole half of the building that is a glass wall, which sort of invites you to come out on the trails. So any door that you see there at the museum is actually a trailhead opening. So not only do you get to explore these uh, fantastic exhibits that we have indoors, including aquariums and dioramas, there are scheduled programs uh, periodically on different days throughout the museum. You can experience that. And then you can always go hiking on the trail. So a little nature, a little science, a lot of fun. 
And uh, I guess one of the more impressive uh, exhibits is you see as you come in the, the front door, and that would be the, the huge fossil. Tell us a little bit about that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, that's basil. Um, basil is a bacillosaurus, and it is a type of prehistoric whale. He's somewhat spectacular. A lot of the little kids, when they first see him, they're like, oh, it's a dinosaur. <laughs> But, of course, everything with a skeleton's a dinosaur when you're little. Um, and he and he's fabulous. He's got the, these teeth that will give you nightmares. But, <laughs> but he's a great-looking specimen. And he was uh, part of the original Scott County landfill. They were digging for a place to put their garbage, and they found him. And so um, those bones were preserved, cared for, casts were made of them. And then there were some... Um, he had a few bones that were not present, and so they looked at other universities' uh, collections that had representative specimens of him, you know, of that type of dinosaur, I meant type of whale of that age, and cast it and made this beautiful thing that hangs in the museum. We're visiting today on Creature Comforts with Nicole Smith, Special Events Coordinator at the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science. So if you have a question about uh, the programs at the museum, the work that they do there, if you'd like to share with us your favorite part of the museum, or if you have a brush with wildlife that you'd like to share, give us a call. The number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Send an email to animals at mpbonline.org. Uh, so you have occasionally uh, traveling exhibits, and we'll talk about the one that you have currently uh, in the show today. But also, as you mentioned, lots of permanent things there. You had mentioned the aquariums. What are some of the other types of exhibits that visitors to the museum would see? When you go down the stairs, the very first thing you see is the fossil wall. And so you can't have a present day experience without starting in the past, right? You're rooted in the past. So everything you see in that grand fossil wall represents ancient Mississippi. And then as you kind of progress through the building, uh, every diorama, every aquarium represents a different ecoregion and habitat across the state and in different seasons. Some of the dioramas are spring or summer, and probably my favorite one involves the beavers, which is set in winter. It's just beautiful. And it's, it's very realistic. Like you look like you're looking at a snapshot in a moment of time in nature. Very meaningful. Um, and then also, I think, um, aren't there some, on that glass wall you were telling us about, aren't there some, like, bird-watching activities? Seems like I remember there being some binoculars there to help you out. Yes, we have a bird-watching area. We're uh, we're big bird nerds around the museum. <laughs> <laughs> we love anything with feathers. And uh, so we have a very well-kept bird-watch area, including a small waterfall and pool to, you know, attract them, a few bird feeders, a couple of houses that have been set off the trail. It's very, and, you know, nice places for cover and shelter we really think it's like real estate how do you move into the neighborhood you want you know it's it's location 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 (laughs) you want you want a good food you want a safe place to raise your young you want all of that and so we try to encourage all those habitat elements that make it a good place for birds to live and again you mentioned the um the trails and that those to me are, are one of the hidden gems of the museum because you, you get out in the middle of that trail and you you have no idea that you're in an urban area. And so tell us a little bit about those. Yeah, it's invaluable. Those trails, we see about 100,000 school kids over the course of an academic year. And children get on those trails and hike around. So they're very important to us. Uh, and you'll see them 
any time of year you go out, you're going to see something different. Springtime, you're going to see the wildflowers. You know, uh, fall, you're going to get a, a great experience of bird migration. Well, spring too, but I like the fall migration a great deal. Uh, and, of course, the plant life is really, really diverse. So there's so much to see. Um, so much to do out there. It's definitely the green space of Jackson, and it's worth coming out to experience. We have got a caller on the line, so let's uh, invite Sue from Beaumont into our conversation. Good morning, Sue. Hi. Uh, can you all hear me? Because I'm having phone trouble. Yeah, go ahead. I have a little miniature dinosaur living in my kitchen windowsill there. Oh, great. It's what I call a little green anole lizard that lives up there. Yes, I've got one, too. I love him. He is the most entertaining little creature. He will on a stack of uh, uh, dishcloths I have folded up there in the window, and he'll show his money like old people you call when you show his little red pouch, you know. <laughs> are, are they male or female that does that? That's a male. He's showing Okay, yeah. well, he, he's, he's doing it right now, and he'll climb up on those dish towels, and what he wants me to do is throw some water at him because I'll take some water and throw. I don't think he responds to my voice or the sound of water, but he, he'll come up right away when he hears my voice, you know. And he'll uh, uh, sling some water on him. He'll go to the window and drink the water off the window, window pane. He's just so cute. That's great. Yeah. And now the the red pouch, as you might expect, he is fervently hoping that there is a female around that might catch that red flash and and come over. He well, might think I have, you're a, I have a little yeah. potted, plastic, <laughs> potted plant in a little uh, plastic. It's about three inches high, and it's got a flower. It's got a little solar panel in, in the flower pot. Uh-huh. And so during the day, that flower nods back and forth, and the little green petals go up and down. And it, it mimics action of his motion going up and down. And it looks like a, the, those green leaves look like lizard backs, you know, because they're the smooth green leaves. <laughs> oh, he might think there's another male. Oh, he's tried to flirt with that flower. So he's so frustrated, <laughs> oh. I can tell, because he'll get down there and look right at it. <laughs> No response, but anyway. Okay, yeah, so he's, yeah, that may be that he's, and he's so seeing I it as a possible that door to let a, a wasp in every once in a while. They'll, the wasp will come in, they go up to that window, and that's what he eats. And so I have to make sure he's fed. I have to keep wasps in the house. <laughs> well, that <laughs> earns his keep right there, Sue. I think anything that will eat a wasp is good in my Yeah, place. and if you I had any roaches, he would go after those. He's, so cute. Yeah. he's sitting up there right now with me, throw some water on him. All right. <laughs> Can I ask you one more quick question? Go ahead. About mockingbirds. I have a mockingbird that sings in the woods out here next to my house, and he has this repertoire. I recognize it's my mockingbird because he'll say, Dorito, 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 <laughs> Fritos, Fritos. So I know it's my bird, you know. But there's a bird in the pasture across the road that has an entirely different repertoire. And so I'm just wondering, uh, if a bird was held in isolation, uh, would a mockingbird have his own song? Would they make up a song? Hmm. Uh Yes. That, well, we assume they all have their own song. I guess it's possible that there's so many mockingbirds that maybe they could overlap. But, you know, they naturally they mimic anything in nature, but they really have they incorporate a good many human sounds into those repetitions, too. And what they usually repeat everything about four times. And it, scientists that is it usually three? I thought it was three. three maybe four. I'm wrong. Yeah. But anyway, they uh, they do it a lot. And scientists that have studied their songs have just been amazed at how many sounds mockingbirds can learn and then hold on to. They might learn something and use it one week and then wait and use it again in three months, that exact same thing. But, and they have dialects, too. So like uh, just like we have you know, our wonderful southern accents, 
uh, there are southern accents, you know, kind mm-hmm. of mockingbirds. And then you go to another region of the country and they're going to have a different accent, so to speak, where you're like, I recognize that phrase, but it just sounds faster or it sounds, sounds slower. There's something different there. So just like we have variations in our verbiage, they do too. All right. Hey, Sue, thanks for your call. This is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio, and we need to take a quick break. When we get back, we'll continue talking about uh, some of the things going on this summer at the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science. Again, we're looking for your favorite part of the museum, things that you enjoy doing when you visit, or your brushes with wildlife. The number to call is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one 672 We'll be back with more after this. Welcome back. This is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Libby Hartfield, retired director of the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science. Dr. Troy Major, the veterinarian from the Animal Medical Center in Jackson, is out this week, but he'll be back uh, taking your pet questions next Thursday. So today we're visiting with Nicole Smith, who is the special events coordinator at the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science. We've talked a little bit about some of the things that you can see there uh, year-round. Uh, We're going to talk in just a minute about their uh, traveling exhibit for the summer. But first, there is an email here that says, Good morning. I have a soft spot for turtles and tortoises. Note, I don't know enough to tell the difference. So every time I see one crossing the road, I pick it up and carry it across the road if it's at all possible. Is that something I should do? I once helped a turtle cross the road only to have it turn around and cross the road in the other direction. So I carried it back to the other side of the road. Then it started crossing back in the original direction. (laughs) This time I left it alone and it continued in the original direction safely. Why did this happen? Did I somehow confuse the turtle? Any thoughts? They typically like to, if you see them heading in a particular direction, there's a reason they're going there. Maybe it's because there's a food source over there or their favorite basking spot, or maybe their girlfriend's hanging out (laughs) over there. There's a reason that animal's going there. So I have to urge caution when assisting wildlife uh, crossing the road. Not all turtles are the same. Like if you saw a Sna- you know, an alligator snapping turtle and it was crossing and you tried to help it. The thing is that neck can curve around pretty well <laughs> and it could easily get you. So, um, you know, uh, I would probably say not no on that case, but something like a box turtle, they're small. They don't travel exceedingly quickly. Um, if you can help them head the direction they're going, that's a good thing. That's That's being a turtle hero. If you put them in the direction they just came from, uh, the moment you're not looking, they're going to go back the way that they, they wanted to because uh, there's a reason they're heading that way. Box turtles particularly never willingly travel more than three miles away from their original hatching ground. They're very territorial to their place. Um, that's why I often tell my students, you know, if you see one, don't take it to your yard and if your yard's more than, you know, three miles away because yeah. then you've given that turtle a job and that job is to get back home. So uh, it's good to want to help wildlife, and you can help boxies by helping them, you know, cross that road. But with alligator snappers, because of how their necks move, I would say probably don't let them let them handle it. Well, actually, you know, the alligator snapper has a shorter, okay, tighter it's neck the other than one. the common. It's the, the common, common snapper. can really That's right, get thank you. you. But a lot of people call common an alligator. So See, I need help. Yes, I need help. No, you're doing great. <laughs> but just, uh, yeah, I would say 
you know, from the move it from the back if you're going right. to move a, a common snapper and an alligator too, just because they got such a serious mouth there. True. And always move any of them in the direction they were planning to go. And anything that lays eggs technically mm-hmm. could carry salmonella too. So that's another like safety thing. Be sure yeah. you always wash your hands with soap and water. Um, because, you know, Germex isn't going to cut it. It's going to have to be soap and water <laughs> to keep and, you and safe. I guess back to her question, um, it, it could be that the turtle just got confused. Mm-hmm. And so if it crossed back, even when she moved it into its own territory, you know, they're not, they're not human. They're not quite as smart as us. But uh, they're yeah. amazing in their own realm. The way the email read, it did sound like maybe the turtle got a little bit confused at first. But yeah. obviously, the good news is uh, eventually, eventually it, it went. safely went in the direction yeah. it was going. So made it another year. And you know, <clears throat> I feel, and I think a lot of people do, when you realize how long they can live. Remember, Will was talking that uh, scientists have even, the more we've studied them recently, have revised <laughs> Upward, the number of years turtles seem to live. What box turtles can sixty-five can is be. what I've heard. Yeah, so they're like a human time span. It's just, but weirdly, in captivity, a box turtle only lives like thirty-five typically, but in the wild, it can live up to sixty-five. So that tells me that it's really getting something from its native habitat mm-hmm. that we as humans can't really provide for them. You know, one of the things we've speculated before about that with any captive turtle is that they, or any captive animal, they tend to not get as much exercise when they're inside. Mm. And I know that's why you guys are so serious about giving your gopher tortoise time outside, yes. letting them do a lot of walking <laughs> and giving them a choice of natural foods. We don't give them enough variety a lot of times when we have them captive, mm-hmm. and we don't give them enough exercise. And Troy's not here to say, but I think that's probably true for a lot of dogs even. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just... We all exercise need exercise really and care. important for animals, yeah. Uh, and just a reminder, last week on the show, we had an in-depth discussion on turtles. So uh, you could find that either on our webpage, mpbonline.org, or if you subscribe to the podcast, you can have it downloaded to your favorite podcast device on your smartphone. Um, so uh, we are talking today about things at the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science with our guest, Nicole Smith, Special Events Coordinator for the museum. Um, so, Nicole, when you have these special events, uh, the special exhibits, that is, to me it's always it's just fascinating the way you can pick them out, and I guess a lot of these are done this way. But it's like, I guess primarily maybe for kids, but there is certainly an element of education aimed at school children. But to me, adults can have as much fun and learn as much as the kids do, and I think that's kind of sneaky because I think adults sometimes think they don't need to continue to learn and they know it all. Uh, and myself included, I think we all have that attitude sometimes. So I think they might surprise themselves when the adults go how much fun they have as well. So talk a little bit about picking them out and, and trying to keep in mind maybe all intended audiences. Well, we really do give a lot of thought and consideration to what we can bring to to Jackson that's going to be an enriching experience for everyone here, everything from the very young to the young at heart. So we're looking at things that are going to have appeal at many age levels. Some of them might have a focus, you know, of an age, like Ripley's Believe It or Not, our current exhibit, I would say, is probably uh, about grades five and up. But I tell you, little kids do seem to enjoy a great deal of it as well. They really love the Titanoboa um, 
kind of sculpture that's there because they can crawl through it and around it. They really enjoy the um, motion capture activities that they can play with. It makes them look like they're dancing. (laughs) It's so fun. And they like the puzzles, too. There's some really complex puzzles for them to work out um, for littles and bigs. So I I like that there's so much variety in in things like this. Uh, We were on a waiting list for a really long time to get the Ripley's Believe It or Not exhibit. So we were lucky when that kind of came along. And we've had so much fun with it. And it is based on the book that I remember from, I guess it, it was a book, I guess, um, (laughs) <laughs> from my childhood, and it's, so it's sort of unusual things in nature that that can also be instructive, I guess. Sure, uh, Robert Ridley, uh, Robert. Ripley, I'd say that five times fast. <laughs> uh, he was uh, an interesting journalist. Kind of before it was cool to travel the world and report remotely, he did it, and he did everything from newspaper articles to radio reports, and eventually the TV show that I remember from my childhood. If if you're of a certain age, you'll remember that too. And and he collected things on his travels. And so in a, in a way, it's kind of like going into your grandmother's attic, and she was a world traveler, and she kept all these fabulous things, and then you go to see them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so it's everything from fossils, like, um, gosh, there's some ceratopsian eggs there, uh, you know, some different dinosaur specimens to look at, to the Titanoboa sculpture. There's even examples of gigantism in humans that you'll see. You know, there's a, a chair there. That was made for a man that was called, uh, uh, I think, the the Irish Viking. And so it's this enormous chair um, that you can sit in, and you might feel a little bit like Edith Ann if you sit <laughs> in. <laughs> uh, but it's a, great, uh, it's a great photo op for people, but it was really custom made for this person. So there's, there's a lot to see and do. Uh, I think one of my favorite things, actually, is a sculpture that's made out of candy. Mm. And it's a portrait of Justin Bieber. <laughs> but, you know, pop stars, so pop candies were used to make the, the portrait, which I think is sort of charming. No, no, my favorite is the Albert Einstein toast, toast. sculpture. Yes. If you were ever wondering, you know, I have 420 pieces of toast. What should I do with it? I should make a sculpture of Albert Einstein. <laughs> It shows you how to do it. It looks amazingly like Einstein. It really does, especially in photos. Like if you take a photo of that from the back, mm-hmm. it really, yeah, very, very much like him. Uh, but you also mentioned some interactive things, puzzles and that sort of thing. Tell us a little bit about that. Uh, yeah, there's this one food truck that's located within the exhibit for edible insects. <laughs> and so you press a button uh, for the item you want to, quote unquote, eat. And you see the chef talking to you. It's a, a VR chef talking to you about how the uh, the food is constructed and why it's a good protein source for you. <laughs> You're not actually eating it. I'm just going to put that out there. <laughs> but it is kind of fun to see how different cultures across the wor- world embrace different um culinary methods and so edible insects is part of that uh let's take another quick break we've got some open phone lines for your input this morning if you're listening uh things that you like to do at the museum when you visit maybe questions about the museum or as we say any kind of brush with wildlife that you've had recently uh we'd like for you to share with us the phone number is one eight seven seven mpb ring it's one eight seven seven six seven two Seven four six four. You can send us an email as well. It's animals at mpbonline.org. You're listening to Creature Comforts. So let's take a break. We'll be back uh, right after this.
MPB News is leading the way, covering stories that matter to Mississippians with five first-place awards from the Associated Press, including breaking news, radio achievement, and public affairs reporting. Your source for a deeper look at today's top story is MPB News. Welcome back to Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Libby Hartfield, retired director of the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science. Dr. Troy Major, veterinarian at the Animal Medical Center in Jackson, is out this week, but will be back with us next Thursday. Today we're visiting with Nicole Smith. She's the special events coordinator at the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science. We talked a lot about uh, some of the permanent things that you'll see at the museum. And uh, the last part of the show, we were talking about some of the things in the current visiting exhibit called Ripley's Believe It or Not. Uh, Nicole, how long is that exhibit at the museum? It's going to be there until September the 9th. So see it before you uh, before it's gone. It, it's just special to have it here. And uh, you could lose yourself for hours. I, I'm not kidding. I've had some families come back about six or seven times this summer that aren't even members. They're just coming because they really love this exhibit. So it's a lot of fun. And I understand uh, tomorrow there is an event uh, connected to the Ripley's Believe It or Not. So if you could tell us about that. Yeah. So we had a lot of fun putting our Fun Fridays together this year. And we decided to call them Believe It or Not Fun Fridays. And our theme, this particular uh, one coming up, is Freaky Nature. (laughs) So uh, unusual things that you will see in nature, everything from unusual behavior, the bee dance, uh, to unusual colorations like piebald deer or albino snakes. So we've got a few, uh, about four or five stations that are going to be spread throughout the museum where you see a red tablecloth. That's your indication that something fun's happening. And that's from 10 till noon this next Fun Friday, Freaky Nature Fun Friday. Things that are unusual, um, like the two-headed snake. You know, he's our permanent resident, but Ripley's has a few things that uh, talk about this sort of unusual biological manifestation. We, they have a two-headed calf skeleton on display, um, just things like that. Um, is there a movie involved? There is not a movie. Okay. No, there are some um, radio recordings. There are uh, a few film shorts that are, you know, played in like the what they call the introductory experience zone one of the uh, of the exhibit. There are seven zones throughout the the space. It's a six thousand square foot exhibit total. And it's wow. There's a lot. It's six semi semi trucks is what it took to get this exhibit in here. It's it's mind boggling. (laughs) It's through the whole building. It's some of it's in the lobby. A lot of it's in the atrium. Some of it's in the traveling space. Some of it's down the exhibit hall. I I don't know where I have room to do stuff for events, really. (laughs) There's so much going on. This is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Today, we're talking with Nicole Smith, Special Events Coordinator at the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science. We're talking about the things going on at the museum this summer. Uh, If you'd like to call in and share what your favorite thing to do when you visit the museum is, if you have a question about the museum, its mission, and its operation, the exhibits, give us a call. Also, we always look for your brushes with wildlife. What have you seen when you've been out and about uh, in the outdoors here in Mississippi. The number to call is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. You can email the show as well. It's animals at mpbonline.org. So you mentioned Fun Fridays, and I, if does that continue throughout the whole year that you do that? No, they are summer-only okay. special 
about. Uh, so the next one we're going to, after this uh, Freaky Nature one, the next one is called Weird Wild Water Tricks. Uh, and that one's going to be a lot of cool activities from the Project Wet curriculum that the uh, volunteers are leading. Uh, the youth volunteers have put this one together. They're very excited about it. And uh, I've seen them gathering materials and uh, brainstorming how they're going to be teaching this one. So I'm real proud of them. <laughs> well, we ought to put a well, you mentioned volunteers. We ought to put a plug in. It's yes, a- we have a great volunteer program mm-hmm. and a wonderful volunteer coordinator. And uh, so if you have uh, a person who's over the age of 13, you can apply. We do have uh, forms that you can go through. It is an interview process. Uh, we do want to find the right volunteer for the right volunteer jobs. And uh, and it's a, it's a great program. And so whether you have a day to give or you want to give regular hours, there's probably a place for you. And that would in, extend up to adults as well, I would imagine. Oh, absolutely. In fact, if you're a grown-up and, and you love nature and you like being around people, then I've got a job for you. You need <laughs> yeah. to contact us. <laughs> museum depends on a lot of volunteers. We do. Uh, it's, it's the village that runs through volunteer effort and hours. Uh, I think one of the other at least semi-regular uh, events at the museum are the lecture series on Tuesday. Yeah, we have a great series uh, called the Noon Lectures, and uh, they are always the first Tuesday of the month right at noon. And if you're a member, they're free. And if you're just visiting the museum today, the lecture comes along with museum admission. So it's a a fun way to spend a noon uh, once a month. The next one coming up is August the 7th. Audrey Harrison's going to be talking about insects. Monarchs, I believe. Yes, Yes. she's great. And she's going to be on the show, on this radio show, the Thursday before. So we'll get a little preview. Okay. (laughs) Um, So um, let's talk a little bit about maybe some uh, outreach uh, efforts that the museum participates in. Yeah, so uh, earlier you you might have uh, remembered I was mentioning we have about 100,000 school kids that visit the museum. And and so we always have programs that we offer here, and we also have teacher workshops that we offer. We even have a series of those coming up on site. But we also have traveling naturalists, people that visit outside of the Tri-County area around Jackson uh, to schools all across the state. So if you, let's say you're in Tishomingo and you know that you really want uh, a special a biological field lab experience, you know, a, a teacher to visit your classroom, we have someone that can help you with that. We just need to get you on the calendar, get you on the schedule. And you can call the museum and we can connect you to the right person. Uh, let's say you know that you... All of your teachers are looking for an enrichment opportunity in your county. You can contact us and we can create a teacher workshop for you that is CEU uh, approved and that meets standards that you need to keep your certifications. All right. Um, so uh, who would someone contact about if maybe to try to follow up on, on those opportunities? You can contact the museum at 601-576-6000 and just uh, say you have a question about workshops and they'll put you to the right person. Uh, that's currently our education coordinator, Andrea Falsetto. And I would imagine uh, if uh, teachers are enjoying their summer break and are listening, uh, now might be a good idea, even though school – Seems like it's a long way away, uh, but maybe to go ahead and get some early planning done to, to jump on this early. 
Yes, we have a, a few new workshops coming up at the museum July 23rd through the 27th. And so each day is a different workshop. Uh, the first one on that Monday, the 23rd, is about sustainability. That's a new workshop we're offering about more sustainable choices in the classroom and in your campus. And then uh, the next one after that is Growing Up Wild. That's an early childhood one. That's meant for uh, pre-K up through about seven and eight years old. And that's so for that, the teachers. That's for the teachers that teach those yeah. age groups, Yes. And then the next one I'm guilty of, uh, this, this one's my, my fault, the, uh, <laughs> the Family mm-hmm. Nature Detectives. This one is uh, mainly going to be focused on vermicomposting as a classroom activity for food chains. So that's going to be a lot of fun. We're going to get dirty and uh, learn about worms and how worms make your life <laughs> that better. That sounds fun. It's real. Okay. Yeah, I've been having way too much fun yeah. with this I one. To show up. Yeah. <laughs> and on the 26th of July, the one there is called Wild About Conservation. And this one's about, really, it's really just an informative workshop for educators to promote wildlife and environmental conservation. So a little bit of everything going on. And the last workshop is Uh, Project Wet on July the 27th, and uh, that one is a water-based curriculum for kindergarten through 12th grade. So there really is, if you've got an age group you're teaching and you're looking for enrichment ideas, things that make the classroom come alive, this is definitely a good series of things to sign up for. All right. Uh, We've got a phone call on the line, so we'll make a greet to Polly, who's called in from Covington, Louisiana this morning. Go ahead, Polly. Good morning. I'm, I'm listening to your show right now, and I want to bring my grandchildren. And my question is, is there a website or some other type of resource that I can go to to find a place to stay, like if we come for the weekend and um, hotel, whatever? Is there a site that I can go to that would... Give me information that would be close to the museum. Yes. VisitJackson.com should be the right, yes. And I'm trying to think of... The Chamber of Commerce might as well. Yeah, but VisitJackson.com is really what I would advise. They right. they do real well. Um, and you can even talk to somebody if you want to, but probably just getting online and read through their information would be the best. Because once you come up, this is a great idea. You might want to stay more than one night. You might want to go to lots of different things in Jackson. All right, uh, Polly, thanks for the call. And again, also that you might be interested, as, as Libby has mentioned numerous times, the Mississippi Children's Museum is right there adjacent to uh, the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science, so that might be a, yeah. a double whammy there. And there are a number of other things to do. The, so the we... Agricultural Museum is mm-hmm. just across Lakeland with the Sports Hall of Fame. So and we kind have of that lovely new Civil Rights Museum downtown, downtown. and History Museum. There's a lot to see. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Depending on the age and the interests of your kids, there's all kinds of stuff to see. Yeah, but uh, visitjackson.com might be a good place to kind of mm-hmm. uh, get where all that information in one spot. Get my bearings. Okay. Yeah, and you, that, you could even plan where you're going to eat by going to that website. Yeah. Oh, great. Very okay. important. Yeah. Wonderful. Thank right. you for yeah. the info. Sure. Thanks for the call, Polly. Uh, glad to see that we'll have some visitors to Mississippi. Hope they enjoy uh, their visit. <clears throat> so um, could is it too early to give us a sneak peek on the next big exhibit coming up. Yes. Okay. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Uh, so we do have a new exhibit on the way, and it's called, mysteriously enough, In the Dark. Uh, it's a little bit about nocturnal animals and um, 
natural phenomena that happen at night. So, but I've I've started to read the information packets on it. It looks intriguing. Uh, we're figuring out what our programming is going to be built around this. It's kind of exciting. I'm talking to a few uh, partner agencies about what our potential could be here. Uh, we'll know more soon. <laughs> All right. And that would be later this year, early next year? Uh, it's the... going to be later this year. It's, okay. I think it opens officially October 6th to the public. I think that's what I remember us talking about. So is it generally two of the biggies per year, three? or? It depends on the year. It depends on what's available. Uh, there's only so many traveling exhibits that kind of fit in well with our mission. And we want to do things that fit in with our mission of conservation and education, especially with the natural science bend. Uh, but we are excited about In the Dark. And Ripley's was a good fit because it's really about all the natural curiosities that you know people have and they find in the world. Uh, the Memphis Zoo, which I would highly recommend if you like zoos, by the way. But it has an area that's basically closed off and it's creatures that are normally th that like the dark. And so I thought mm -hmm. that was very uh, interesting part of the, of the zoo. And again, I'm a big fan of zoos and to me, the Memphis zoo was a really, really good zoo. So if you're ever in the Memphis area looking for things to do, you might want to add that to your list. Uh, we need to take one final break this hour. When we get back, we'll wrap things up. We've been visiting today with Nicole Smith, who is the special events coordinator at the Mississippi museum of natural science back to wrap up the show after this. If you miss anything on MPB Think Radio, you can always stay up to date by logging on to our website at mpbonline.org or use your mobile device and download our MPB public media app. This is MPB Think Radio, where Mississippi is our mission. Welcome back to Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Libby Hartfield, retired director of the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science. Uh, Dr. Troy Major, veterinarian at the Animal Medical Center in Jackson, out today. He'll be back to take your pet questions next Thursday. We've been visiting today with Nicole Smith, special events coordinator at the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science. And we've been talking about all of the things that you can do at the museum, the things that go on throughout the year, their permanent exhibits, uh, uh, things that they do throughout the week, uh, throughout the year, and the special events, um, the biggie that we've been talking about that is in the museum and through the early part of September is the Ripley's Believe It or Not exhibit. Uh, to give a little sneak peek for the next one coming up as well. Uh, but Nicole, there was another upcoming event that you wanted to put us uh, put on our radar. Sure. So I just want to say uh, we're always doing something. We're always innovating. Uh, even events that you know, we're updating and keeping them fresh. So like us on Facebook, like the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science on Facebook. Uh, follow our website now and then check in and see what's coming up. The Mississippi Science Fest, which is a big event we do with the, all the museums in the Little Florida District, is coming up in September. Park After Dark comes up in October. We partner with the Children's Museum for that one. And we've got a new holiday event coming up this December. You'll hear, see, hear more about it soon, but we're going to call it Snow Much Fun. <laughs> and that's going to be on December 7th and 8th coming up. We're not really ready to talk a lot about it, but just that's your teaser. It's coming, and it's going to be awesome. <laughs> so is there... 
you talk about sort of updating even your your annual events to make them fresh, make sure that people you know always have something fun and and and, and entertaining and educational to do. Is there like a group? Is this or does the staff kind of get together in general? Maybe people throw out ideas. How do you go about keeping things fresh? Uh, that's a great question. We do a lot of things. We have informal polls of visitor when they come by. Officially, I am the entire event staff, <laughs> but uh, but we now have an event committee that they're the ones that have helped put together the new holiday event that's coming, and uh, we have a special committee just for Park After Dark to make it you know fascinating and interesting when you come to see it, and we also you know work with managers and our board a little bit. So there's there's. Many ways we go about this. A lot of it starts with just open communication. And, you know, if you ever have an idea for an event, I'm open to that. You know, uh, call the museum, say, I've got an idea for an event, and I'd be happy to listen to you. doesn't mean I can necessarily make it happen, but I at least have the seed planted, and we'll see what we can do. The museum and MPB has partnered on several events in the past. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Do it again. I came out for your uh, Super Reader Super Fun event and was an exhibitor at that, and y'all have helped us with uh, the Science Fest before and other, other things. We love MPB. Um, and also, I guess maybe correct me if I'm wrong here, and, uh, but there are a lot of wildlife biologists who work at the museum. And so if someone is taking their family to any kind of exhibit uh, lecture, I mean, this is good stuff. This isn't just, you know, someone plucked off the street or whatever. Right. Our, science, are, our, our science is solid. You know, we um, we only present things that we have real data for, real information, and try to do it in an engaging way that's relatable. We did, you know, we work with scientists that are on our staff. Our educators do that so they can translate the research that is being done there so, uh, so that there's an educational component of that. So there's a lot, you know, it's not like every day you're going to be talking to a scientist, but you're talking to people that work intimately with scientists. Um, one of the other things, I guess, uh, on a semi-regular basis that's a lot of fun uh, are the fish feedings. Tell us about that. Yeah, so on Fridays at 10 o'clock and Sundays at 2, we have fish feedings at the museum. And that's fascinating because you can't just have an aquarium without caring for the fish. So our aquarists are these wonderful combination of biologists and chemists because they have to take care of those uh, aquariums just so. And it's really interesting to watch the fish being fed because there's a lot of different adaptations in that um, in that aquarium. So you got to see how the fishes are going to eat what's being given to them. It's really interesting. And divers, the divers come out for that too. So if you are a diver and you want to volunteer, you need to talk to us because we can always use more divers at the museum. <laughs> Um, and, and as you mentioned earlier with the, it's a query, uh, plural, I guess, because there are a number of them, but that to me is one of my favorite parts of the museum, because as you said, each aquarium is done as a different ecosystem in the, in Mississippi. Tell us a little bit more about that, if you could. Right. These are living collections, you know, and so they are well maintained by our aquarium staff. Uh, and so as you walk through the building, you are walking through the state, and each aquarium represents a different location from in the state. Everything from the Pearl River to Brackish Waters all the way up to uh, the Mississippi Sound. And how many different, uh, approximately different types of fish and and 
turtles and that sort of thing do you think are at the museum? Hmm, the technical term is a bunch. <laughs> uh, <laughs> sorry, I don't have that exact number. I know someone much smarter than I am does, but uh, I just know it's enough diversity to keep you busy. <laughs> and how many different aquariums are there? Oh, Libby, you might help me remember so, that. How like many aquariums? There's a lot of them. Oh, we gosh, start with the know, terrapin tank. I was tank. just thinking I should know all those numbers. Hundred thousand gallons of water. I yes. remember that. Start with the terrapin tank. We go through the uh, the sound. There's the the reservoir tank, the brackish water tank, the one with all the baby turtles whose name I can't remember mm-hmm. right now. I feel bad. Ripple poo. Oh, <laughs> ripple poo. Yeah. yeah. And then there's the enormous terrarium. I'm sure it says on the website. Okay, all right. <laughs> there's a lot. <laughs> I should know all of them by heart. All right, so um, I need more coffee. A couple minutes left in the show here. I'm going to put you both on the spot. We'll start with Libby. Mm-hmm. What is your favorite thing at the museum? Oh gosh, that's not fair. Oh, not I, fair. So hard because oh yes, yes. Uh, I actually love the entrance when you go in and there's. The, the big octagon mm. with the deer jumping, and a lot of times I like to watch how people react right then when they walk in. And the uh, the opening in the back then to the natural area, so you see that kind of right behind the deer. I like that a lot. I love the fossil wall. I like all the dioramas. I think they are probably the most underappreciated. I agree. Because there's... They have to compete with the aquariums. The aquariums are so fantastic. And, you know, when we were building it, that was one of the warnings because all the museums said nothing competes with live animals. You know, so, well, our dioramas just about do. But I would say if you're going back to the museum after a first trip, you might remember to spend a little time looking in there. Or as the kids get older, they'll spend more time looking in the dioramas. And then if you just want to sit and just experience something, I like the native plant garden, though, up front, though. I mean, we talk about, a lot of people think of museums as these static things, including the dioramas, but it's more than that. There's living exhibits. Yes, the aquariums. Yes, all the animals that are animal ambassadors included in in programs. But we have this beautiful native plant garden up front that represents several different ecoregions. And a lot of care has been put into Mm -hmm. selecting those plants. Our botanist had a great influence on that. And it's just, it's phenomenal. It was kind of spartan at one point when the the building was new and shiny and they had all the construction and over time everything that you see that we've planted there has been a native plant that's good for our wildlife that truly fully represents mississippi and i I think that's unique there's even a a tree there that went to space there's the the (laughs) space pine that's there that was a special arbor day planting we have some unique stuff Let's bring our producer, Java Chapman, into the conversation. Java, what's your favorite part about the museum? Well, my favorite part, and we haven't even talked about it yet, uh, with three kids under the age of six, I like the preschool room <laughs> oh, where they can go you. in good, and, good and slide and uh, read read some of the books. I know y'all have the the book readings at times, but, yeah, that's a, it's like an indoor playground for for under, under uh, six kids. Oh, yeah, <laughs> we forgot to even mention that. That's <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. We ha- and we have a lovely preschool educator uh, staff there too they do such a good job the, they, a lot of kids call it the tree room 
because mm. there's a great big tree in there. Yeah. All right. So as, as we've talked about, something for all members of the family to do and enjoy when you visit the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science. Uh, that is going to wrap us up for today. Creature Comforts is a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting Think Radio, funding provided in part by the generous contributions from listeners like you. To hear today's show or previous show, one way to find it is to visit mpbonline.org slash creaturecomforts. Our show is uh, produced by Java Chapman, and in, uh, call screener today was Michelle McAdoo. For Libby Hartfield and our guest Nicole Smith, I'm Kevin Farrell. Up next at 10, it's MPB Season Pass with Jay White. We'll hope you will be back with us next Thursday at 9 for another Creature Comforts. It's heard only on MPB Think Radio.